I just want to say that you said that you may not have been chosen, but the people who chose not to be here today, they really missed out. Thank you. Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. You can find that on page 1580 in your pew Bibles. Mark, chapter 14, starting with verse 32. Gethsemane. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, it was po prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. When he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Uh, thank you, J.D. And thank you, DeWitt family, for uh, filling in and helping out with the service this morning. Uh, let's go to God in uh, prayer this morning. Uh, let's have a moment of silence and uh, be still before God. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and uh, keep your pew Bibles out. Uh, we'll be going through that, that uh, chapter in Mark, that uh, section of Mark, Mark 14, 32 through 42. Um, so we'll see what, uh, uh, how the Spirit moves through that message here uh, this morning. Um, my prayer for everyone here today uh, is that you've had a great Christmas. And that you've been able to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness in your life and your family's life. Uh, this is always a good time to reflect uh, on, on how God has blessed each and every one of us uh, over this past year. Uh, however, a lot of times this, this time of year brings a lot of heartache. Uh, causes us to remember what has happened this past year. And the, if there's loss in, in our lives and our friends' lives, and that can kind of stir uh, some feelings and some thoughts this, this time of year. Uh, unfortunately, many of us have had loss uh, this past year, and we've experienced things that, uh, that the Christmas season caused us to remember uh, hardships. So I, I would encourage to, um, to lend a helping hand or a listening ear uh, during this Christmas season and, and uh, maybe look for people to show compassion uh, to and people that have uh, experienced loss over this last year. Um, we all go through different seasons in life, and, 
And uh, it's our duty as Christians to help our brothers and sisters in times like that. Uh, we all need to kind of step back at times and ask ourselves, how, is, how are the people doing in, in uh, the lives that God is putting in front of us? So, um, yeah. Uh, so as we continue to celebrate the Christmas season and the birth of Jesus, uh, we must remember the shadow of the cross. Uh, everything that the birth of Jesus represents ultimately points back to the cross. So as we reflect on Jesus' life starting in a manger, we must look at, at why he was here. Uh, ultimately, there are two reasons why God sent his son to live among us. Uh, the first is to save us from our sins. Uh, Jesus uh, came to earth be and became a man to take the place of our transgressions and our shortcomings. Uh, before Jesus' birth, an angel of the Lord uh, came to Joseph and told him that, that Mary would have a baby and name him Jesus and that he would save his people from our sins. Uh, that's from Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 21. Even Jesus' name is a Greek word from Joshua, which means the Lord saves. I believe this is the answer that most American evangelicals would use when answering the question, why did Jesus come to earth? It's not incorrect, but it has a singular focus. In my opinion, this is a more individualistic approach to our faith. Jesus is the only way for our salvation and our eternal life. However, there is more that we as Christians must develop in our worldview to answer the question of why. A more full answer to this question can be found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ not only came to save us from our sins, but to make all things new. Tim Keller writes, The kingdom is a renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. This is why Jesus came to earth and why he will come again. God is at work reconciling all he created and is actively putting everything into a right relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came for us as individuals and as a community of believers. He is the way, the truth, and the life, an example in how we should live in this life. Even though we can never meet his standards of holiness, we can look to what he did while he was on earth to see how to thrive in this world and get to the next. We are told that Jesus is our example. Chapter, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 5-7 through 7 state, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we are to know him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
This tells us that we need to pay attention to what Jesus did while he was on earth. We must take note of how he lived, what he said, and what he did. I've chosen the passage of Gethsemane this morning because it portrays adversity and how Jesus handles that adversity. At some point in our Christian walk, we all face this type of difficulty, not to the extreme as Jesus did. However, we all have nights of pressure and doubt. Jesus was made human so that, we, that he could experience all that we experience in this life. This adversity and, and pressure can lead to despair. But Jesus' reaction to this adversity gives us hope in the way he handled the situation and ultimate hope on what happened to him after this night. Gethsemane is a Hebrew name and means oil press. This is a place that Jesus faced immense pressure. So let us go back to the context of the scripture that J.D. read. This passage is from the last 24 hours that Jesus spent on earth. Before this passage, Mark shares the story of the Lord's Supper and Jesus' prophecy of one of his disciples, Judas, betraying him. He also prophesied that Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times before a rooster would crow twice. This last night with his disciples is spent teaching and preparing them for what was about to happen. The book of John shares much more detail to the last 24 hours of Jesus' time spent on earth. John shares that he washed his disciples' feet and provides a very intimate way on what servanthood is all about. John also shares much more detail on, on how his disciples, on the disciples' grief will turn to joy. Jesus alludes to his death here, but tells his disciples that his death will not last and that he will see them again. The Gospel of John also depicts Jesus' longest prayer as he commissions his, his disciples and eventually all believers. The night of Gethsemane is one of anguish. Jesus knows what's ahead of him in the coming hours, therefore he retreats to one of his favorite places to pray and be alone. However, he does not go to Gethsemane all by himself. He takes Peter, John, and James with him. During this time, Jesus retreats and prays alone with God. He comes back to his disciples to find them asleep while he's going through extreme distress. After three times of this praying and coming back to find his community asleep, he says, Enough! The hour has come. Look! The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I believe this night of distress provides three ways that we can face adversity in this life. All of us face various degrees of adversity from time to time. Because sin is present in this world, we will all face hardship, health concerns, disasters, trauma, loss, pain, this will not stop until Jesus returns and totally reconciles God's creation. However, we can cope with adversity. And again, I believe Jesus' night in Gethsemane provides us with three ideas on how to effectively deal with hardship. The first thought is Jesus identifies and processes his emotions. Jesus is experiencing many emotions in this passage. The Greek verbs here are, to tra are translated to deeply distressed and troubled. Together they describe an extremely acute emotion, a compound of bewilderment, fear, 
uncertainty, and anxiety, nowhere else portrayed in such vivid terms as here. In verse 34, he shows his awareness of his situation. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The Gospel of Luke also betrays the scene of Gethsemane and intensifies the night of pressure. Luke 22, verse 44 states, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus shares all of his emotions and feelings with his inner circle, Peter, John, and James. This points me to a truth of how we should handle distress. We need to first identify our emotions and process them. I believe many times we become unaware of how situations produce emotions and feelings. As a man, I see this in my own life and in my Christian brothers. We tend to stifle our emotions and force them away rather to become aware of them and process why those emotions are present. I personally tend to block out those feelings and put my head down and move forward. But that is not what Jesus did in this situation. He became aware of the situation and felt that he needed to process his emotions before he went through with his mission. The second point of this passage is that in this night of pressure and distress, Jesus was surrounded by his community. His relationships helped him through this night of despair. We need our community to help us get through adversity. Jesus not only communes with his disciples, but goes to God in prayer. He lays it all on the line during his prayer. He expresses his doubt to God in verse 36. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. We need to have a relationship with God, and we do this through prayer and laying our concerns and joys at his feet. God desires to have a relationship with each one of us as his children. Jesus also believed it was necessary to have his earthly community near him and with him. We all need a nucleus of people in our lives to help us during distress, help us during hardship. However, Jesus' disciples do let him down in this situation. You can almost hear the emotion in Jesus, Jesus in the text. The first time he comes back to them after they are asleep, he says, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? And the third time in verse 41, you are still sleeping and resting enough. We need our brothers and sisters to help us during times of despair, to comfort us and to care for us. But sometimes this isn't a perfect remedy to our issues. Only God can provide us with ultimate care and comfort. In this passage, Jesus does put all of his trust in God's hand even though his earthly community fails him. Campbell Morgan writes that this is an illustration of perfect communion with God. Is there any evidence of of perfect communion between a soul and God so great as the fact that the soul says everything to God? Of its own shrinking, of its own pain, of its own agony, providing always that the speech is unified with the saying of the one thing that is supreme, Father, thy will not mine be done. The third thing that strikes me about this passage is that Jesus faced this conflict. At the end of the story in verse 41 and 42, Jesus' time has come and he says, Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. 
Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus faces this conflict. How many times do we run away from conflict or leave it set and fester? I'm not saying that we go looking for a fight, but when conflict is at hand, we must handle it. Jesus did have the advantage of knowing the outcome, but he also knew what he was going to face. The pain, the pain and the agony of the cross, the full unleashed wrath of God for all of man's sin. This is weighty. This is heavy. But notice how Jesus refers to himself in verse 41, the Son of Man. This is Jesus' call, his, his vocation, his mission. He doesn't refer to himself as Pilate refers to him, king of the Jews in Mark 15, verse Verse 2, he could have called himself the Son of God, which he is, but he chooses a title of humility and why he came to earth. This is also a reference to the vision of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14, the Son of Man is pictured as a heavenly figure who in the end of times is entrusted by God with authority, glory, and sovereign power. Jesus uses this title of the Son of Man 81 times in the Gospel and is the only one who uses that phrase in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even though his inner circle of Peter, James, and John let him down, Jesus' mission is still moving forward. These three see how Jesus is processing his call, and no question will add strength for their eventual ministries after being with Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus was preparing them. And he told them of their failure but also of the prophecy of his coming victory. We learn like this all the time. Initially we fail, but through that failure we are strengthened for the next test. Jesus may have had initial doubt in the night of Gethsemane, but the key verse for us to grasp and wrestle with is in 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus gives up his control of the situation and relies on God the Father to lead him through this night of pressure and his ultimate sacrifice. Please also notice that even in this time of great emotion, Jesus does not let his emotions direct his actions. He welcomes God's leading of his mission. God the Father becomes the director of his call. Ultimately, Gethsemane is a night of testing and shows us how to face adversity. Many times the night before the test may be actually the hardest test. The sleepless nights, the thoughts about what-ifs may be actually harder than the doing. Jesus provides us with an example of how to be tested with temptation. Although the disciples may have failed in this test, this must have been an opportunity to build their spiritual resolve for their mission ahead. In verse 38, he encourages Peter, John, and James to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How often does this happen with us? How often does our spirit have good intentions, but our flesh betrays us? How often do we fall asleep when we are facing adversity? My encouragement to you this day is to stand firm in your adversity or trial. Look towards Jesus' night in Gethsemane. Start to become aware of the emotions around your adversity. Connect with God and with other people in your community. Open up that communication with your situation, with your inner circle. Give your situation to God and ask, to help, ask for help to get through this 
And finally, accept what God is doing in your life and face the conflict. Even though we may have difficulties in this life, they will not last forever. As long as we place our trust in Jesus and build a relationship with our Creator, He will make all things new in our lives. I don't mean to diminish struggle. We have struggle. All of us struggle. Many people have hardship that I could not bear. But please listen to Psalm 34 and take comfort. Your distress will not last forever. As Christians, we have hope. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name for the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Being a Christian means that we are a member of Jesus' kingdom. We always should have the mindset that we have one foot in this life and one foot in the next. We partner with God on his activities to bring his kingdom on earth, but we realize that this is not our home. All the good that we see in this world and the good that Jesus brings with this kingdom is just an image, echo, and mirage of what is yet to come. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, Father, Abba, we, uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, for this night of Gethsemane that uh, he faced uh, adversity and pressure. And we, uh, we thank you for uh, allowing us to learn from his example. Uh, we thank you for Peter, James, and John on, on their ability to, to learn from his example and, and uh, carry out his mission, uh, carry out the church, and uh, what that means for us as Christians. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for that lesson. Uh, Lord, we, we think of uh, our friends and family that are struggling right now, struggling with health concerns or uh, a loss, and uh, we ask that you please uphold them and care for them and be with them today. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for time and, and, uh, and energy and, and um, just a, w- a wonderful uh, Christmas holiday that we've been able to spend with, with family and friends. Again, we also think of people that have been struggling over the last couple weeks to, to just maintain through the Christmas season. That, uh, that hardship and adversity is real, and it, it goes through each and every one of us at times. Uh, please care for us this week. Please be with us this week. Help us to face our adversity and our trials and our nights of pressure. And, uh, Lord, we just remember that uh, Jesus faced his conflict and went through with his mission, and that that provides hope for each and every one of us and hope for us this day. So, Lord, as we go from this place, please be with us and, and care for us and help us to share the good news of your son, Jesus, and his kingdom yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, today.